dear viewers and listeners, welcome to the latest episode of Extra Extra. It's all about whiskey. I remain your <laughs> I remain your host in the past tense. <laughs> my, my my mind is already <laughs> racing ahead to to where we're going with this episode. So I am your host, Jason NPH Johnson Yellen. He is Joshua Morrissey Hatton. Each episode, Jason. <laughs> hello, Joshua. I'm so confused. Each episode of Extra Extra, we bring a whiskey related news story to the attention of the other and to our listeners and to our viewers. We cover it, we riff it, we summarize it, we comment, we editorialize. We generally have a whiskey industry chat about what's going on. Mm -hmm. And this episode, because it is our tradition, when we need somebody who knows things, we reach out to Jessica Rabbit Lomas. And here she comes. Hello! <laughs> How you diddly doing? Hello. You say no things. I think what you mean <laughs> is gets grumpy about things. That's really what you meant well, to say. Well, at any time we want to see, see somebody who has seagull art, we reach out to Jessica Rabbit Lomas. <laughs> not one seagull, not two, no. thrice, thrice seagulls. Please, the magic number. Three. And the one yep. in the middle, whichever way this points on my camera, the one in the middle is a seagull which is hanging out in the Pacific Northwest. So the I one in the middle, it's, it's, I look at it, I can't tell if it's smiling, I can't tell if it's serious. It's kind of like the Mona Lisa of, of, of seagulls. Man, our... Our listeners are loving this. So this episode, <laughs> as our title suggests, Cask Whiskey Association launches. And periodically, things happen in the whiskey industry where it's the first thing we talk about when we're in meetings with one another. We receive mm -hmm. emails from whiskey friends, texts from whiskey friends. A, a lot of chat happens behind the scenes before we even get to the point of having an extra extra. And so the launch of Cask Whiskey Association has been one of those stories. Right away, uh, last week, so somewhere in the 20s of September, uh, we started receiving links to a Spirits Business article. I am quickly calling it up so that I can say that was authored by Georgie Collins on the 21st mm. of September a name that we are familiar with. And, and this article started to put out details on an executive board, an advisory board. There was going to be an association that was looking after the cask investment market. I know there's a major thread that I always think of when the cask investment stuff is going down. Joshua, I know there's a thread you think of when cask investment is mentioned. And Jess, I know there's a component of this that is a go-to for you as well. If, if I may just kind of lead out by saying my main thread here has been when will the Scotch Whiskey Association step in to all of this cask investment that is beginning to give the industry a, a little bit of a black eye. Questions are being raised, 
concerns are being voiced, who's in charge of this, who's giving this a rubber stamp, who's approving, who's the authority, and they haven't done Mm -hmm. it. The SWA has not stepped up to fill this void, and I feel like CWA, the Cask Whiskey Association, has filled a void left by the SWA. And so my very first question for each of you is, do you view it in the same way? Do you view it in a different way? Perspectives. Uh, Joshua, as, as my as my regular extra, extra partner, I'll come to you first. Uh, and then we'll follow up with young Jess. Dear Jess. Yeah, I think, <laughs> I think, Oh, geez. I want to choose my words Please? wisely here because it, it, right, if, if I'm being honest, there's some people within the CWA that we're quite friendly with, that we've mm-hmm. done business with, that we're friends with, etc. But it, it seems that, yes, the Scotch Whiskey Association has left a hole that the CWA has filled. But should they be the ones to be filling that hole? And, and, and I think that the answer is is no. Um, but I'm, I'm going to take it back a little further. You know, when anybody who's read the article, and, and I urge everybody to read that article, and I think there's a subsequent Forbes article mm-hmm. uh, that, that the both of you have read that, that yeah, I've George Kutsakis uh, wrote, a, wrote a pretty good piece George, on that. I, I'll, George I'll reference, I'm sure Jess will reference as we go through this episode. Yeah. And my my concern with the with the CWA. Well, first off, I I like what they led with, and they're leading with the idea of consumer protection, which on the surface that's something we've talked about for a while because it it harkens back to the old cask investment schemes of of the eighties and you know thereabouts that really ruin the lives of, of a good number of people who have invested into cast and, and lost a good number, uh, a good number of their monies. Mm-hmm. Um, so that, so that's a good thing. Let's protect the consumers. The problem is there's no mention. I mean, there is a mention in the article about the protection of industry of bottlers, but when, when, how should I say this? I'm going to say something you guys don't like. I'm going to say a nice thing about the U.S. three-tiered system. <laughs> Even a blind squirrel finds but, a nut once in a while. <laughs> but here, but he, but he... <laughs> oh, everybody is li- sitting down listening to this. I hope. And if you're driving, please don't crash our cars. Just pull over safely. Like just park while Joshua explains this. But, but hear, hear me point. out, right? Please. The U.S. three-tiered system is put in place um, to ensure that an importer cannot own all the tiers of the system of getting bottles onto a shelf and therefore claim all of the margin, therefore monopolize the margin from anyone else, therefore artificially affect pricing to increase their own margins. Mm-hmm. So an importer... In, in some states can have a distributorship, but they can't have a retailership. Or in some states, they can only be an importer and nothing else, right? Or there, there are protections in place. And what I'm seeing here is there's no delineation 
between someone who can be a cask broker and someone who can also run a cask investment company. Mm -hmm. And when you allow someone who can run a cask investment company to also be a cask broker, you can't trust that someone, and I'm, I'm not saying this about the people on this board, I'm just saying sort of writ large, there needs to be regulations in place where if you separate the two, you can ensure that someone sitting behind their desk doesn't say, you know what, I can make a bit more money on this cask if I put it into the investment market than I can selling it into traditional industry and sell it for traditional industry prices. So I think what there should be to protect not just the, the investor, but also industry is a separation of an organization that could be a broker and an organization that can be a cask investment firm. This, this way, there's no bleed. This way, there's, there's no chance of harming either side or less chance of harming either side. Does that make sense? Yes. I think that's very controversial. Um, and possibly to my mind, maybe making it a little bit more complicated than it already is. I like where you're coming from. And I see why you're coming for that. And maybe perhaps why that sort of um, style hasn't come out of the UK, because I guess a lot of this news has come from UK sources and we don't really deal too heavily with the three tier system. We just, it's over there somewhere. Uh, so I, I can see why maybe perhaps okay. that's not a view I've heard before, especially let, not when you Let me throw this like example out system. and I'm not going to use any names whatsoever. Okay. Uh, last year, speaking to a shop owner who does special casks for their shop, uh, was trying to get a cask of a certain 25-year-old whiskey. And the price was given to them, and it was exorbitant. It was ridiculous. And they say, well, if you give me that price, I will have to charge X on my website and no consumer is going to pay X for this price. And that broker told that shop owner, well, I can just sell it into the investment market for that same price. So it's up to you. If you want it, I'll sell it to you and it's yours. Or I'll just sell it to them and, and make the same margin. So that, I think, really affects industry in a bad way. Why should that broker be allowed to do that. It, it doesn't help industry. It only lines the pocket of that broker. If the broker didn't have the ability to sell it into the investment market, then they would have to work as the industry would normally work, which has been the way it had worked for decades and decades and decades. So, so that, that's why I, I, I really think it could be a system that could work. I understand that it's complicated and it hasn't been done. It, however, it doesn't mean it shouldn't be done just because it is more complicated. Um, so I hear what you're saying about the idea of a broker or somebody mm -hmm. who has some of this liquid in some place, offering it potentially to a store and a, a store 
owner, a retailer, feeling quite unfairly treated. That's not a particularly nice statement from a broker being like, this is the price. And if you don't pay it, I'm selling it over here. Like that's, that's not a nice way to behave. And this industry is pretty small. So my knee jerk reaction as a, a retailer would be to make sure I never use that broker again. But there's a tiny part of me, and this comes mm -hmm. with a lot of asterisks that so don't come for me. We live in a free society, mm -hmm. some could say a capitalist society. And if you decide to say to somebody, this is my price, either take me at this price or I can sell it to an investment company, another retailer who's happy to sell it for top dollar, somebody who just really wants a cask of whiskey for a huge overinflated price. Something like the CWA isn't going to stop that happening. They're not dictating market prices and market values. What the CWA is forming is a, a gang of happy-go-lucky misfits who have a little shiny brownie badge that says, we're one of the good guys, so we probably wouldn't do what happened right, to that but, guy in okay, the example. So but I, I understand you, you've got other views that we need to bring up, and Jason has views that he needs to bring up. Uh, my, my last comment to, to that is there's a difference between capitalism and, and a monopoly. And I think that we are verging on a monopoly here when someone is allowed to, to service both, both sides of the business, both investment and industry. And it wouldn't hurt to separate the two. You could still um, have capitalism just without the monopoly. That's all. I'm with you. And I, I think my response to Jason's question about when you hear talk about this kind of thing, how do you feel? My initial thoughts are this, this remains a very underregulated uh, market. Yes, to be involved from our side of the fence, there are lots of licenses, lots of bits of registration you have to have with the revenue in the UK, lots of rules as a company we have to comply with. But as a private individual who is walking down the street, I mean, that's a as a private individual who's scrolling through Facebook if I'm honest with you and it's getting endless results like I've been looking at this for a couple of days and when this announcement was made so my Facebook and Instagram algorithms are absolutely riddled now with hundreds of these gas companies being like hey come buy these things from us which are some of which I'll get to in a bit um I think you know the lack of regulation really shocks me the idea that you get these adverts in your, mm -hmm. you know, social yeah. media feeds or more frighteningly people coming to you being like, Hey, I've heard, uh, it's a really good idea to buy this. And that happens mm -hmm. all the time, partly because of my job, our job, but because I run a whiskey tasting group and because people know what I do for a living, I get these fairly unsolicited emails of people being like, Hey, I'm being offered a cask for this much money. Should I buy it? Is yep. it a good investment? And I always, I have a copy paste response, which is I'm not a financial advisor. I'm not backed by anybody. It's your personal money. And you have much bigger pockets than I do. You know, 15 grand on a cask might not be a huge amount of money for somebody who's looking to park some mm. of their huge piles of cash somewhere. Uh, 15 grand is an awful lot of money to me. So my approach to this kind of thing is going to be very different. So the idea that there's no regulation, that you just rock up at somebody's office or you fill in a little form online and they ping across a very sexy laid out brochure with lots of these words like 
exit strategy, managed portfolio, diversifying your investment. These words, which to me, fill me with dread. They all seem very big, you know, complicated finance things. I, I can see why if you're getting them thrown in your face all the time, eventually you're going to be like, well, this company that pops up regularly, they seem to know what they're talking about, right? But that's one of the interesting things. And one of the quotes from Colin Hamden White in the Spirits Business piece where he says, we're not really looking for a regulation like the Financial Conduct Authority, for example, but we do feel that there should be some regulation around advertising, right? Like he's he's already saying, we're not going to play in that sandbox. We're going to play in this sandbox over there. What's interesting in what you've just said there, Jess, is your response matches the SWA, which is, we're not financial advisors. We're not going to get into the market of cask investment. Do you think it's right for the SWA to be on the sidelines here? You're, if that's your personal position, that's one thing. Do you think that should be the position of the SWA? I think that's a very tricky question. And I am very conflicted, as I suspect a lot of the SWA lawyers are. So please... These SWLA lawyers don't write the questions <laughs> under. Uh, because, because I think that's, that's the point, right? The SWA exists as a body uh, to keep the industry in order. Their job is to make sure that we're not producing whiskies that are popping up in another country and labeled as one thing. We're making sure that nobody is like, oh, this cask of whiskey appeared in my garden and now I'm selling it to very big online distributors, you know, like, and to maintain quality and to mm -hmm. make sure that the definition of what makes Scotch whiskey, its very essence of what it is, is kept within some pretty strict order and kept to a standard. Nowhere in their day-to-day -day job is their involvement on a financial level. The SWA are not here to say, Right, distilleries can sell to people if you are in column A, your cask is this, and if you are a person in column B, then your cask is this. The SWA take no part in that. They leave that up to distilleries, brokers, people who are doing that. Rightly or wrongly, it's difficult because they did a, they've, they've reneged a tiny bit. There is a tiny little kind of three-page PDF, which I think, Jason, you'll be a fan of because it's PDF on their website, which talks Thank you. about Thank you. cask investments, but it, mm. it doesn't really scratch the surface any deeper than make sure you've done your homework, check out company's house. Does this company look like a reputable business rather than a man with a Squarespace website and he runs it from the boot of his car? Not that it, it doesn't really <laughs> go into detail any more than that. It gives a few important words, you know, like if you're buying a cask, make sure you're asking for a DO, that's a delivery order, not an ownership mm -hmm. certificate or some other fabricated words. You know, the <laughs> DO comes from the warehouse where the cask is. That tells you that it's definitely there and it exists, you know beware of people promising you that you can have insurance for 50p for a hundred thousand years and the cask if it catches fire you'll get you know top dollar pricing for your cask mm. they didn't go really any further than that uh, i think the the mm. silence on their part is deafening i think they don't know whether or not to my i mean this is my opinion i think they don't really know if they're in a position that they can come out and condemn this CWA as it stands, or if I, they can't exactly come around saying, well, look, we've, look, lads, we've been really quiet for ages and we've had no opinions, but this, whatever this is that we've seen come past right. our window, we don't like the look of that. Do it again. 
Now, like, I sort of feel like maybe the time has passed for them to say, right, we're going to put together whatever some sort of form of a CWA looks like. We want these people involved, these companies, they're going to come together. This is what the structure is. But I think they're just kind of washing their hands. I, I suspect watching closely, but I don't think you are going to see an SWA announcement anytime soon in like they are for or against but, the but formation why, of why this association. Why is it too late? Why can't, why can't they form something now to for for future protections? I don't think it's necessarily too late. I mean, yes, they are late, but it's not too late. I'm not saying <laughs> never. I'm not saying they shouldn't ever form a, an association. But I think some of it is that kind of classic stoicism of, you know, we're we just not getting involved in it, you know, just stand by. But the, this looks like a direct retaliation to what has and, been and I don't, I don't, I'm not trying to say bad things about the SWA. I think the SWA does a lot of things really well for the protection of Scotch whiskey. And there are certain things that trigger them immediately, like uh, the distillery in Canada that happened to use the word Glen. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, no, you don't. Don't you use that word. But then when we run into situations like this, where we're saying, you know, this could directly affect people's lives. This will directly affect the cost of Scotch whiskey, makes it unattainable for the masses and make can make product only available to those with bigger wallets than others. They're saying, well, well that's just the way the, the market's going. That's that's not really protecting Scotch whiskey. It's 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 kind of putting it up here, far away from the people who want to continue to buy it and explore it. Yeah, I, I hear that. I I just feel that the an association needs to be made of an impartial, unbiased group of people who are not uh, mm -hmm. cask sellers. I certainly don't think um, anybody who is involved in this on any of the boards should Agreed. be financially yeah. benefiting yeah. from the sales made by uh, casks. And even to some level, I feel like people who are benefiting by being bottlers, you know, like, I, because I think you're still benefiting from the process of this somewhere. Um, and I know Jason mentioned, and this is my opinion, uh, very much chimes in with the Forbes article that you referenced at the top of the podcast uh, by George mm -hmm. Katsukis. Sorry, George, if I pronounced your surname wrong. <laughs> Sorry, George. Yeah, um, He's got, and I definitely, I think we should share the link for this in the little, in the down below. When There's we his the name, by the way. At the end. And this article's really good. Kautzakis. There you go. That's how. <laughs> Sorry, George. Um, okay. Uh, I, he's got a really nice kind of um, flow in his article where he, you know, admits that he is also part of, he owns a company selling casks, but explaining why he himself would never get involved in such an association mm. because he is a biased opinion. And he's he's got a really nice little chunk here that I've got where he says that just like a student does not grade their own paper, a criminal does not choose their own verdict, and an official does not elect themselves, cask brokers should not be in any scenario self-proclaiming as protectors and advisors of the entire cask whiskey industry. And I, I really think that's, the, that's a much more succinct way of summing up how I feel about this, that I think you can't have um, 
people and again we're not talking about the individuals but I think you can't have an association which is formed by people whose primary interest at the end of the day as directors of businesses a director's aim is to keep your business profitable and I think you can't be have that hat on and then on the other side be like oh yes you seem like a fair and fit person come on into the party because ultimately that's a conflict against the interests of your own company I feel and so to me that's that's my problem with the foundation of this association Mm -hmm. yes I think there does need to be something I think it needs to go above and beyond just looking at how we advertise casts to regular Joes but I do feel like this it's it doesn't it simultaneously doesn't go far enough and it's formed entirely wrongly from the very (laughs) beginning so it it's a non-starter for me but i i like the principle of it and 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 on that exact point let me bring in another quote from the article which is uh, and again it's colin hamden white the, the chairperson so hamden white said that association members that have been vetted and approved by the cwa will bear a hallmark of its logo allowing consumers and investors to know that they're a trusted source. So in listening to you, Jess, you're saying, yep, we should have something that says someone is a trusted source. However, it shouldn't come from a group within. It should come from a group outside of that very yeah. industry. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think there are definitely key points we're hitting here that, that we're believers in. I, I think what's interesting is for Joshua and I and the number of extra extras we've done on cask investment, where I, I feel that we've, we've been browbeaten by the investment companies, where we've now reached a point where we're like, okay, if there are going to be investment companies, they need to be trusted. Whereas our original <laughs> argument was, no, there shouldn't be investment companies. That too. Like, we don't think whiskey should go down this path. And now we're like, okay, if you're not going away, we think you should be trusted I, at the very least. I, just, ja- do you feel that way, Josh? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, li- listen. Uh, Josh well, Josh, Josh, should yes. there be task investment? Um, yes. Yeah, it's, it's funny, right? The, the longer we ruminate on this issue, and now it's been an issue for, for quite a while, I feel like we've been talking about this for two and a half, almost three years, as it's sort of grown and grown and grown. My opinion is has changed slightly in that should there be cask investment? I guess there shouldn't not be cask investment, but I want industry to be protected and not affected. I want consumers to be protected, period. There should be simple minimum protections in place. And there's a difference between protecting the consumer who's, maybe a difference in similarity as well, uh, about the consumer who should be protected who is an investor and the consumer who should be protected as someone who just wants to buy a bottle. Someone who is able to go to the whiskey exchange and buy a 12-year-old Tomatin for, for 65 pounds, and now they've got to pay 85, 95 pounds for it. And it doesn't, you know, people can't afford that these days, right? With inflation and recession and all this, it, it's both the bottle consumer and the cask investment consumer are significantly being affected. 
So I'm I'm curious what changed for you from there shouldn't be cask investment to okay because if there's I going to be cask investment let's protect investors. I think it's just going to pop up, and if it goes away now, that's fine. It'll go away now. But, But just fast forward another generation and it's going to pop up again. Everything is cyclical. Why not put regulations in place that can protect us now and protect us going forward? That's all. I just, I don't think that there's any way of getting around it or away from it. Okay. Jess? Uh, Yeah, no, I'm... I'm with you. I I think you can't get away from now. It's too late. I think there's too many people quoting my favorite hating my hate favorite quote about the night Frank index, which is a little bit taken out of context. Um, it's the quote that everybody will have seen that says, you know, whiskey is the best performing luxury um, category in the last 10 years. And then there's always an, a ridiculous quote that I uh, think like 400, no, 548% or something uh, increase in value, mm. uh, which like out of context is a fabulous number to throw about. I think actually the original context to that quote was actually mm. to do with bottled liquid. It's got nothing to do with bulk stock. I have seen somewhere, um, which as Joshua has just come to, bottled liquid is a very different kettle of fish to mix my metaphors to bulk liquid. I, <laughs> I think what we're talking about here with CWA and about investments Investments, I think, are largely looking towards bulk liquid, which is a, a totally different market to playing the games of buying off bottles and using the F word flipping uh, them in auctions. is very different. I think the absolute wildfire, and for me, the most offensive uh, part is to do with these cask investment groups. Because if you want to buy a bottle, and, you know, ultimately we are independent mm-hmm. bottlers, right? So we want people to buy our bottles. And if some of those bottles have gone into yep. investment cat- catalogs and portfolios, there's not much we can do about that, except at the end of the day, those bottles either go up or down in value. Somebody at some point, there's a, I would say, fairly high risk somebody's going to open these bottles, uh, especially the kind of things that we bottle, we are aiming for people to be drinking, opening, sharing, or, you know, the good wholesome content of the whiskey industry <laughs> but i think when you look at casks there's a lot of pairs of hands involved here uh, most of which will never touch that liquid unless they are you know pulling out the 100 mil samples that you know some of these companies say you can take advantage of every year you can do paper chases of casks you know chains that go on 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 and you know between me you the next guy the next guy the next guy none of us have seen a drop of this liquid mm. it's a schrodinger's cask right does it even exist is it even liquid <laughs> uh, and so to me that's that's far more risky because the cask is a although they talk about a tangible asset it's also a wasting asset and as we know mm. casks can burst casks can go missing although you know <laughs> uh, bad things can happen and that liquid can end up on the floor of a warehouse or the angels can have helped themselves to all of it because it's racked 12 high in a pallet you know that that as an investment to me i think is not it's never fully explained to the average joe who doesn't understand um, the process of whiskey making, maturation, how it gets from being from that field where it's beautiful barley to in your hands as a bottled, beautiful bottle, single cask nation. The average Joe, that's there's a there's a whole lifetime's worth of knowledge happening there. And I think the people that are seeing 548% return on your investment are like, brilliant, I'll put 
10 pounds in times 548% over a lifetime, you know, and they don't understand that there's, there's a whole chunk of stuff that can happen. And those are the people who I genuinely, and I say this frequently need protecting. They are people who are looking to invest and some of them aren't just kind of mums and dads with a bit of a pension pot. I get people who are very intelligent and have lots more money uh, come and ask the same questions. I don't think it's necessarily about protecting people who are totally innocent to the process. I think it's because it looks really sexy and glitzy, right? Oh, I've got five casks of whiskey. I've got three Bugattis. I've got 10 roll <laughs> That's how we're treating all of these the same. Yeah. And yet you're laughing because they're three totally different products. Yes. But in terms of investment, right. we're treating them the same. We're using words like portfolio manager. Mm-hmm. We're using exit mm-hmm. strategies and management and diversification. But you can't control whiskey. Like you could go and next time you get that cask regauged, suddenly it's dropped 5%. And I, our exit strategy, which said twenty, my 25-year-old A, another distillery was going to be blah, blah, pounds per bottle, which means that the cask is worth this. Oh, well, suddenly it's 39.1%. Shit, yep. it's not worth any of that. And I've waited yep. 25 years, possibly, to maximize my 548% return. Right. And the phone call comes through saying, so that 15 grand you gave us as new make, which is a horrendous new make price, um, hmm. uh, we could maybe swap it for another cask for you. And I think that's where we're going to get a lot of angry and disappointed consumers further down the line. We've seen it with people who bought those Bell's decanters as investment. And, you know, they were promised these bottles were going to be their pensions. (laughs) And I do still sometimes go into places where people tell me, oh, that's the pension plan. That's where, you know, the money is going to come from. And I kind of have to say, like, "Mm, okay, knowing full well that realistically that decanter, unless it's one of the really rare ones, is worth less than 100 quid. And if it's one of the rare ones, two or 300 pounds. And yet these people thought these were going to be the shining beacons of the whiskey world. So do we need somebody to put together an association to help kind of uh, weed out those cowboys from the real genuine players? I I think we do. Um, Even this morning when I looked at Facebook, I found within like 10 minutes of scrolling, maybe three or four cask companies offering me and they all offered different amounts one of them was offering me 20 to 30 percent return per year and the lowest one i think was eight or nine percent per year so even within 10 minutes of being on facebook like look at the scale yeah and you're just relying yep. on somebody having a Square space is awesome. that's it there's nobody ruling yep. jess jess let me let me circle you back to a quote that, that you threw at us right before we hit record here and we'll we'll have a quick comment on this and then we'll get out of here to respect our tight 35 um you sent a quote that was casknet said that an estimated 1.1 million of the more than 22 million whiskey casks in scotland are owned privately rather than by distilleries that's a gigantic number yeah. it's is that number including, say, independent bottlers with their warehouses? We're not just saying 1.1 million casts are owned by private individuals, as in people sitting in their houses in Stonehaven, right? It's really popular. Can you put some leaves on the branches of that quote? Um, that quote that I put <laughs> across, um, there is no further context. I. It's interesting that you've asked it like that. I read it as the 1.1 million was out using my dad's favorite Scottish word, out with the distilleries. That included people like us as indie bottlers, people that were cask investors, private individuals who obviously uh, bought into 
uh, distilleries who are starting up and, you know, have used that as a crowdfunding source. I took that to mean as like distilleries were kind of 20.9 million casks and everyone yeah. else made up that little one point extra. Um, but it would be interesting. I wonder. Exactly. Yeah. I wonder where that figures come from. It was a new one to me. That's why I brought it to attention for extra, extra. Um, but I've not seen yep. any further context to it. And I would be very interested to know if that means it's a, a figure that. Yeah, yeah if, it, could, if it's coming from the distilleries go, or distillery warehouses, they could be treating any cask that they simply don't own as private to someone else, even if it's, you know, someone like uh, a Gordon McPhail or a you know, an elixir distillers that owns multitudes of casts to create, you know, large bottling runs or something like that. That's how it could be construed. So it's, it'd be nice to find some leaves for those branches. I would be interested. Yeah, I'd be interested to know if there's a way of measuring it. I think what CaskNet we're talking mm. about doing is they're creating a digital cask register. So maybe further down the line, if they uh, complete their project or, you know, are able to release results from it, maybe there would be some way of them telling us, okay, well, of that million or so casks, this percent are held by investment holdings. This is held by, um, like you're saying, independent bottlers, people who are using casks for products that are not necessarily distillery producers. Um, yeah, it would be very interesting to know how that breakdown works. Because it definitely shows that there's a cl yeah. clearly a fierce demand for casks, but that's not telling anybody who listens to this podcast. Yeah, I mean, someone reading that can something think, they don't know, oh, right? man, that's so many people investing in casks. That may not be the case. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Right. Yep. Right. That's why I wanted the coverage and extra extras to say, no, they, they might be legitimately held by enterprises that have legitimately held casts for decades and lots of decades. So, mm -hmm. um, all right. I, I think we, I think we walked a, a careful line through the, the, the CWA and, and the realities of cask investment. Uh, our parting words always remain the same. Be very careful out there. Mm -hmm. Um, and if it's too good to be true, it probably is. Um, if you want to drop us a note, questions at one nation under whiskey.com info at singlecastnation.com. Uh, also, you can uh, drop us a, a comment uh, either before or after you subscribe, before or after you TTB. Uh, you can let us know your thoughts on on investment as well. Indeed. Uh, Jess, it has been wonderful having you along today. Thank you kindly. Uh, we, always, we always learn so much. Uh, Joshua and Jason, uh, we three will get out of here Peace. the way that we always do. Is it Peace. like this? Do you do like this? You say, peace. Peace. Is that it? Did I do that right? I think it's this way. Okay. Peace. 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 <laughs> peace. I think the word's important. Peace.